this week on Dig Me Out. Tell me when you With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Manishi. Jay, this week we're back with another one of our patron-selected albums, Jay. This is when one of our veterans, one of our established, one of our, what's another word I want to use, our Gold Circle members. (laughs) (laughs) We need to establish like like tiers, like the Gold Circle, where you get a nice patch for your jacket. I, I, I have lines. some I have some ideas for that. That might oh, be coming. Cool, with a little like gold thread around the edge. And does do you or anyone uh, uh, listening remember Gold Circle department stores? Yes. Oh, do you? Okay, go you on. Remember? Well, maybe that'll be one of our tiers. We'll name ourselves after defunct like eighties <laughs> and nineties department stores. So this be, like, is the Woolworth tier. <laughs> Zares. You obviously would be two guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, pretty soon we can add Sears in there and uh, Kmart. Radio Shack. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, joining us on his 12th month anniversary, I believe this is his second. Indeed. So honored. Keith Sawyer, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. <laughs> So as we do in these episodes, you get to select an album, and we're going to talk about it. So why don't we just cut to the chase, and let's talk about the album you picked and why you picked it. Uh, I picked Since by Richard Buckner. It's his third record. It was his second record on MCA before he got uh, unceremoniously dropped. I think, what did he call MCA? Music Career Assassins, I think. Yes, I read that. Yeah. But basically, I know, Tim, how much you love the 20-year anniversary picks. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, I'm a music nerd, so I have a big list of, you know, way back in the day in 1998, I made my list of all my favorite albums. So I went back, I put them all on my thumb drive, and then I was, I was commuting. I sort of, I asked myself, not what my favorite album was, but which album do I have the hardest time sort of understanding or being able to even verbally explain why I really love it because I need your help. I need the special Tim and Jay touch. <laughs> oh, help sort out a challenge. My... Yeah. So I had like 20 of them on that thumb drive and I just started deleting them as, as I was going along and I got down to like the final three and then this was the winner. I got to say, Jay, my favorite part of doing these episodes where we bring a patron on and, and they, they pick a record is how much work they've put in yeah. to figuring out what record it is. I did not fig- I did not consider the fact that we were going to cause stress <laughs> in people's lives. I wanted this to be like a fun thing, but we were actually stressing people out by 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 doing this. I feel yeah. like we should send them like a guided meditation to get through these uh to get through these selections because well, uh, if i was in their position i would probably do the same thing oh, I, and i think it's fun everybody has a different uh process they go through yeah the, the last time i so wanted that worthy album and then like Jay <laughs> hanging i was like this time no expectation yeah no don't that's a bad strategy 
I think, I think you're better uh, with this with this new direction. Let me ask you, Jay, were you familiar with Richard Buckner? This is an artist that uh, the name is familiar and the sound is familiar, but I don't know that I, I don't, I don't know that I've ever listened to him. So if that makes any sense, like when I saw the name, I said, okay, I, I know that name. And when right. I put the record on, I said, oh, I know this guy, but I don't remember ever listening to him. So if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, it, it, it does make sense. I'm sort of in the same boat in that, you know, I have an appreciation for early 90s alternative country music in the vein of, uh, you know, Uncle Tupelo, Wilco, Sunvolt, the Jayhawks, Golden Smog, those bands. And when that whole thing was happening in the early to mid 90s, um, you know, I was very into it. And then as it sort of progressed through the decade, there were more and more artists that sort of got tagged with that sort of sound. And um, I remember his name coming up, but I do not remember ever listening to anything. So this is a completely and totally new, you know, pick for, or, or, or record for me. So I'm I'm glad we're getting an opportunity to talk about it because, like I said, it was just like not something that I knew at all. Yeah, and, and I'd agree that the sound definitely fits in with those other bands you mentioned, like Sun Vault, maybe the first Wilco record. You know, it, it does have a very similar feel to it. I'm looking on. I posted this on on Patreon, didn't I? I think you did. I didn't see anybody make any comments about it. Okay. Because, like, I'm looking back now, I'm like, where are the comments on this episode? Oh, there are no comments. <laughs> People were stunned. It was a resounding silence. They were stunned into silence at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Uh, <laughs> Whitney, so, let me down. So I know a little bit about Richard Buckner in that um, he's actually from California, but he's traveled around, around a lot. He's currently a resident of, of Brooklyn, New York. Um, can you sort of fill in the details of you, you mentioned about him having a couple records out on MCA? Um, he's he's had a pretty like varied career. It looks like from just a brief reading. Can you kind of fill in the broad strokes with him? Yeah, I, I think in interviews I've read with him, he calls himself more of a writer and a poet than he calls himself a musician. You know, I think he said he just sort of came across the musician piece as he was trying to set some of his poetry to music. And his his output seems very intermittent. Maybe that's why he's also writing, you know, during that period of time as well. And he's had actually a pretty consistent release schedule, but they've just been, from what I've read, um, somewhat diverse in terms of what the actual music is. Um, I think some of the stuff he's he's done, like what we're gonna be talking about, which is the more alternative country. But then I, I've read that some of the stuff uh, it's been out more recently has been a little bit more at, not atmospheric, but it's not quite as singer songwritery. I guess you'd say Is that a fair mm-hmm. way to put it. I would say for me, since is a little bit of a divergence from the first two records, which. The songs are a little bit more 
know if you want to call them plot based, but you can kind of pick up a thread of what he's talking about versus I would say since very much sounds like it's poetry set to music. There's maybe one song that has an identifiable verbal chorus. Like most of them, the chorus is just, it'll be a hook that maybe is repeated or something. But, you know, from a from a lyrical perspective, these really feel like poems to me. And then the album he did after this was an adaptation of Edgar, Edgar Lee Masters' uh, Spoon River Anthology, where he sort of took poems and was inspired by that in order to create an album. So I think he has a very different process than a lot of other musicians. Yeah. One of the songs from this album was actually used in a Volkswagen ad. Yep. Ariel Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. When was that? Recently? It must have been yeah. in the early 2000s. Okay. The early 2000s, yeah. It was for the Toreg. 2004, it says here. There you go. The Wiki. I got it right in front of me. <laughs> Try and make me sound somewhat intelligent. All right, Jay, let's get into this. Let's start with what we liked and then very gently go into what we didn't like. <laughs> no. no expectations uh, anymore. You can you can get out the cat of nine tails. Uh, <laughs> we'll try to be fair. Am I starting? You're starting. I, I can start if you want, but I'll... You start. I okay. start every yeah. week. People are right. tired of hearing me go first. I probably I'm well. I don't. I do so much lead up talk that I like to like let you then give the first impression right. because well, I've monopolized the beginning of the show for the most part. I got you. That's my logic. I got you. But I'll go. So uh, what I liked about this record um, is what well, to me I I like the fact that it's sixteen minutes or sixteen songs in thirty seven minutes. Which is, I knew which you'd is, like that. Which is great. But what I like is that this record is really kind of two records. It is a half of it is a really introspective sort of singer songwriter acoustic and stripped down, uh, you know, very minimalistic sound. And then yep. half the record is this very cleanly produced alternative country, getting into almost just straight up like alternative uh, with some of the sounds on this record. And I really dig that. I like that he took a chance. And although the songs are not like structured half and half, he bounces from style to style. Like you can clearly, you can just kind of split the album eight songs and eight songs, and you pretty much have two completely different records. And there's eight songs with drums. There's eight songs without drums. Right. And um, I, I tended actually to gravitate, which is unusual, towards the more stripped down acoustic stuff. Um, I thought his voice worked really well in a more intimate setting. Uh, I liked it when it was more up close and it wasn't having to compete with a drum kit and, and a guitar and a bass and maybe like a, there'd be a lap steel in a song or something like that. And I thought that that's where that was the space I liked him in more was when he was just like finger picking or strumming over some chords or when they did some tricks with, production where they you know made the guitar sound a a little bit aged and they they dialed back the the production on the song um i thought that was where the space where i really enjoyed him on this record and what's that's what's kind of nice about it is that you can kind of listen to it for two different things you can listen to it for this very sort of stripped down sound or you can listen to it for a very produced what I would describe as like very mid to late nineties sort of, you know, clean alternative 
country sound that's different than what I was sort of into in, in the early 90s, but that what gradually those all those bands sort of went towards in the in the late 90s. Between the horsey and the hooper, the pillow and the stone, I hope to hell you're doing well and leaving well enough alone. What's uh, what's one thing that you liked about this record? I like that the ingredients here are very familiar. Uh, I would even say like traditional. Like so, if you just strip it apart to the pieces um, in bits and bits, and it's it's all very blues based, folk based, country. <clears throat> but the way it's all put together doesn't sound like anybody in particular. Maybe some Sunvolt here and there, just in terms of the vocal delivery, but that's about it for me. Um, so that's that's pretty hard to do. You know, it, it's it's difficult to like start from basic ingredients that have been used by you know tens of thousands of bands or hundreds of thousands of bands over yeah. the last sixty years, and be able to put those in together in a way that's completely original. So I, I just enjoyed that. I liked hearing how it came together. It's produced in a very unique way. Not not that it's experimental or distracting, but uh, the vocal is very present. It's up front, um, really always. Even when it's a full band song, you get this really cool contrast between like a studio, an intimate studio sound where he's really close to you but then the drums are very live, you know, room sounding. So it's just this really unique juxtaposition between um, kind of a live sound and a, and a studio kind of produced sound, um, which allows all of this intermingling of piano and different guitar layers and a lot of percussion, too. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised by the amount of percussion that's on the record. And everything just kind of comes together into this somewhat unpredictable arrangement so you'll have to kind of piano just kind of drop in for a moment and a guitar part drop in and out and it all kind of like it's all all mashed uh, mashed together um into these little two-minute bursts of songs um so you're you're never bored you know it's the song never goes on too long because you're on to the next one um no instrument is played too long you know uh and it's all centered around like his vocal, which is always in the middle of the mix and very upfront. So just from a production standpoint, too, I think it brings together a lot of common, um, you know, blues, rock, folk sounds, but in a very unique way. So, Keith, from your original acquisition of this record to now, has your, I guess... Um, listening changed are there things that you picked up on over the years that you've 
gravitated towards or maybe certain songs that you've gra- gravitated towards over the years? It, it wasn't immediately apparent to me that the songs really weren't songs, that they were really kind of poetry set to music when I first listened to it. Because, and I think it's, as Jay said, there's these little producery touches in there or they'll use like a guitar solo or a guitar lick in order to give the appearance of a chorus. But when you actually pay attention to the lyrics, you realize that there isn't one. You know, there it really isn't any kind of, um, you know, a vocal hook or something that would that he'll come back to. Instead, like you talked about the piano, like there's that in Brief and Boundless, there's that little piano hit that they put in there in order to give you a little bit of a familiarity of the song having some sort of structure to it. Really, when you try and dive into the lyrics, everything is just really ephemeral. There is there's themes going through the record, but you know there's no real clear plot. You know, yeah. that's the thing that probably came out the most to me listening to it now it, that I didn't realize back then. So you've had 20 years. We've only had really like a week, so yep. I didn't necessarily pick up on. I, I picked up on the fact that his, you know lyrical content was not typical but not in the sense that it was poetry put to music which is definitely a unique aspect of this record i want to touch on those <clears throat> that comment that keith made about the guitar so, like hooks i guess you could call them in that they're really effective they're really well placed and you're impression is that the parts are played more than they actually are but if that makes sense like after you absorb the record and you kind of come back to that part you're like oh it's that nice guitar solo that our lead that i liked and that's kind of the hook and you know they probably come back to it again here and then when you really analyze it you're like, oh he doesn't he plays it one time that's it yeah. like that right. was the whole <laughs> but it's something about it is very memorable and it grabs you um it's the same thing sometimes with some of the the I guess what at first blush seemed like choruses, but again, when you analyze them, you realize um, like in my notes, I kept writing like, okay, in this, I like how we get into this chorus. And then I'm realizing like, as I'm typing it that, oh, this isn't really a chorus. Hmm. It's just a little hook um, and it doesn't come back again, <laughs> you know, or it's right. Um, just the impression yeah. of a chorus, which it's the melody it's interesting. that yeah. he repeats, which a, a lot of songwriters finagle that where they repeat a melody where the hook is, but they don't necessarily repeat the lyrics. Like Tim Kasher from Cursive actually does that a lot, mm. where you hit the chorus, quote-unquote, with a, a melody that repeats, but it's not the word. The words aren't repeating. So gotcha. it's it's a, a very difficult trick to pull off because matching the melody to different sets of words is not the easiest thing <laughs> to do. Yeah, right. Um, 
And you, you mentioned, Jay, like the percussive elements too, which I think just add a lot of flavor. Like I think to me, listening back to it, Lucky Buzz like is the song to me that comes out as kind of the heart of the album, the thesis statement. It has all that kind of that clicking or that bells in it and the bongos in it, you know, and it's just adding that little bit of flavor to the to the song. She waved me in You see confessions have been found I came a little closer As the night roared down I sent off a letter With the stinger still inside I should have skipped that bluff I knew I'd had too much yeah this is a um to me it was a put on headphones close your eyes kind of record um for a lot of it especially those the uh the quieter stuff where you're just picking up on all these little subtle uh, production techniques and sounds and yeah, the way the guitars are produced and, you know, it becomes very atmospheric as well, or it can be, but then uh, there's some songs where you you just kind of crank it on your speakers and it just sounds like a all country rock song. Yeah. Like Joel bomb or, you know, yeah, there's quite a few that sound like I listen to it. I'm like, why wasn't this in like uh, on, our radar as far as college radio or even, you know, some sort of late night, you know, 120 minutes alternative nation. Like I don't remember hearing anything. Whereas, you know, the songs that are drum, they have drums, have electric guitar or clean, you know, electric or acoustic, something like that, but are up tempo. They all sound like they could be radio songs. uh, Helped by the fact they're so short. And I think, the first album he did for MCA is much more traditionally singer songwritery. And then I think, you know, coming into this record, it sounds like, you know, they were almost, you know, divorced. It was almost over. And he put out this one, which actually has the more commercial songs on it, but it was just completely stillborn. You know, the, the one song that I wanted to highlight, which I had a, like a weird problem. It's the, it's the opening track believer he does this weird thing with his vocal in that song, which he doesn't really repeat or like almost it's like he's wanting to get like almost angry with his vocal. And it like it was a weird way to start the record because I was like, oh, OK, well, what's this going to be about? Like, yeah. And uh, he doesn't really do that again. I mean, he gets a little bit aggressive with his vocal like once or twice, but not to that extent. Did, did that throw you off, Jay, at all the first time you listened to it? Um. Uh, he sings from a an odd place like um I, i'm not quite sure i'm not a singer but it sounds like he's like pushing air in a unique way so sometimes he gets these like little growls or like like little pitch shifts that happen there is a um, lot of like warble in some of it yeah and, and i think that 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 is what i picked up on um just the way he's his technique you can kind of you sense it like you can kind of feel it when you're listening to the way he sings. It just makes you um, uh, feel like a little bit short of breath or something like you're imagining yourself singing like that. And um, th- that's what I picked up on. 
Yeah. And it's sort of like the song Raise. When he says the word raise, he has a real gravitas to it. You know? mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite tracks on this record. I, I love that that finger picking, which he he does that. He kind of previews that in Pico with that little just acoustic part, which I really liked. And then actually, it's almost flamenco. <laughs> yeah. 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 Does he do all the guitar work on the record? Uh, no, there's okay. there's definitely two guitars in there. Okay. Uh, the guitar playing is is really, really nice. Like very tasteful, unique, but still grounded in like competent. You know, sort of some you can tell. You know, they studied uh, country, bluegrass, rock technique, and then they. I don't know, but bring it to a very different kind of place with these songs. Well, there's a lot of contributors to this record, right? Yeah, there's there's a bunch, and I and I think there may be not even be consistent between songs. Like there's right. certain players who are in there who are only on certain songs, which I think is another reason why there may be such a difference in sound. Well, John McIntyre, who's a drummer for Tortoise and Seeing the Cake, he's on the record. I assume he's playing drums. Unless he's doing other stuff. Um, I, I would have to guess Hand on the Hem is him, because that's like an, an incredible drum performance on that song. And then Dave Schram, who um, was in Yola Tango for a while, and he's been in other bands. And I know he was in with the Giant Sand guys. I don't know yeah. if they're on this record. They were definitely on the previous one. Dave Grubbs, David Grubbs, who was in Squirrel Bait. And Gaster de Soul and a bunch of just a bunch of other bands. Um, he's on this record, and then Sid Straw, who is I don't know what the con- contribution is because she is a singer, right? Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the producer JD Foster worked with her. There are a couple of songs where you do hear a little bit of a female it's vocal. Just, it's in real there. faint, like as a yeah, very subtle. Yeah. So maybe that's it. I just assumed that I didn't know because I don't have this. You know, I'm just listening to it on, you know, streaming. So I don't have the liner notes. Yeah, the booklet is very sparse. In fact, the when I bought it, it's got this cardboard, rough cardboard feel to it. It, it definitely is is very similar to the the sound of the record. So Jay, let me ask you the dreaded question. What okay. did not work for you on this record? It felt a little longer than 37 minutes. I, I do like the short songs. You know, kind of has this guided by voices almost approach to it where you get just these little sketches of ideas um, that, that hold together. I found myself sort of the middle third of the record being a little bit, um, I guess, lost in some of the, the way that the vocals, it all starts to be it's it's difficult to find the direction sometimes i guess um you get lost in like the intertwining guitars and like the amount of vocals there are lyrics there are so sometimes it it can be a little bit hard to discern um where are we going and is this song different than that song um but i think because at the end of the day i mean there's so much here that you can take in that and it and it keeps changing you're never stuck in any one song for too long Mm-hmm. Um, it still worked. I just found myself like between tracks eight and 12 being a little less engaged um, than I was when the record first kicks off and through the first half. And I think it ends strong. Um, there's just that sort of second middle section that um, I started to 
get a little lost and maybe lose interest. And then it pulled me back. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I kind of, that's eight. I mean, eight, I like, I like Pico, but it means just 38 seconds right. or something like that. But I definitely like felt that's like, it picked up again at raise for me, which is 13. Yeah. Yep. So that, that makes sense. Um, that also features some of the songs that, like I said, I, I gravitated towards the more acoustic stuff and that's none of those are in that sort of area. It's more towards the first half and the, and the back. Well, I don't know if not half, but the, the first couple songs like faithful shooter and Ariel Ramirez and stuff. And then on the back half, like raise and hand in the hem and stuff like that. Hand at the hem. Um, so yeah, that it's not that anything doesn't work for me this on this record. I just have a preference for the more acoustic and intimate stuff that just yeah. seemed to connect with me better. And it made me like hone in. Whereas it's just that like, especially when I turned it up in my headphones, the production is like so clean on those rock songs, essentially what they are yeah. that like they sound more generic and I don't, I don't get pulled in the way I do with the more stripped down stuff. Something like, uh, say, like coursed. Like I think that it has all the parts I like, um, yeah. And there's section of that I really like. But my note at the end of it was just it, it didn't quite sound finished. There's something incomplete, maybe about a couple of the songs, and that being one example of. Um, it seems like a sketch of an idea that is close to being formed, but not quite complete. It's that juxtaposition of I don't think I'd want the album to be any longer, but there's definitely like for me, Brief and Boundless is one of those songs that it feels like it's right building to something you're getting to. There's a solo or there's something coming up and then you're you're right out of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Love the uh, I guess. Is that a pedal pedal steel in that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some nice little like slide guitar and pedal steel interludes and. Yeah, and that, that song, it's that's definitely the wordless chorus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like I like this like the very subtle piano that's in that song, and I liked at the beginning. Of course, there's that like low end thing that's going on. And I'm like, ooh, what is this going to be? And it just doesn't sort of develop into what I'm kind of hoping. Like, there's going to be something more there. So it's definitely a, it's a record of two personalities and one that I gravitate towards more so than the other one. So has your 
are there certain songs other than those that don't work for you, Keith? Or or are you? I know you mentioned that you were picking something that fond affection for. So yeah, I w- I would actually agree with your statement. I don't think Believer is the greatest lead off track for it, though. I really like the wood block in it. Um, you know, but I I think they could have started off with something. Even moving Believer out and starting with Faithful Shooter might have been a better uh, way to go. You know, and there's other songs that feel, once again, sketches to me, like Boys the Night Will Bury You or Ocean Cliff Clearing, you know, which are, they're fine. You know. The um, Boys the Night Will Bury You sounded like, because he's doing that, like, traditional yeah. ballad vocal, like, it sounded yeah. like it was off of Uncle Tupelo's March 16th to 20th. Like, I don't know what song it is on there, because I, I didn't look at the track listing. But it has that traditional folk sound that I'm like, I didn't, I didn't need this on this record. Yeah, it's a traditional structure that you really don't hear anywhere else on the record. Right. Yeah, that's what it made it stand out so much, because he's able to meld some interesting traditional sounds, but with a modern take, and that's so traditional in that melody. And he's none of his melodies are very like familiar. Yeah. So making that so familiar was like a just a cold slap of water or whatever you want to put it <laughs> but it's the second to last song the penultimate it's the second song. to last yeah there you go and i like the closer with the brushes and yeah once so. again it's just that little flavor that especially on the headphones you know uh, really takes a song that might not be as much and turns it into something that uh, makes you want to listen to it again. So this came out in 98. I feel like this probably, even if this was something that got pushed, it was not going to get any sort of mainstream radio. Like no depression magazine would probably wrote about it. And some college radio probably paid some songs. Although I don't really remember. Although I was probably, probably checked out by that point. I, I was pretty much done with the radio station by the, by 98 so it may have been played at college radio i don't i don't recall but it's it's hard to find a spot where this would really work in 98 in any sort of mainstream sense uh i felt like it was um sounded pretty contemporary to me too i don't know i you know this would fit in with uh, some of the americana stuff that's that's happening now uh just fine i don't know that it sounded dated or no it definitely doesn't sound dated and to your point about Maybe it was out of place in 98, but maybe it's time is better suited to now, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, I, I think it, it tries. Like, Goner with Souvenir definitely tries to, to be familiar. But once again, the, the lack of any kind of familiar structure, uh, I think, really hampers it as far as somebody just being able to pick it up and say, oh, this is a really friendly, fun record, you know? Yeah, I feel yeah, like... That song almost has like a Pete Yorn kind of vibe to it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good comparison. Um, I feel like if Richard Buckner toured this, like doing one of those 20th anniversary tours where he, you know, would play the record from front to back, he could probably like open with it for like Jason Isbell or one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And it would sound like it would fit like perfectly opening for him or touring with him. Yeah, John Moreland as well. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of right in that wheelhouse. Yeah, maybe. I know Bon Iver has really cited him as a, you know, somebody who really inspired him. 
you know, which is once again another one of the, those artists that has that similar sparse, folky sound, but has you know since gotten some level of fame. The name we didn't bring up, which I we should have probably brought up, is um, in comparison would be like a Steve Earle. Like I kind of feel like who, who's made some very strong statements about Richard Buckner. Yeah, <laughs> negative statements. <laughs> Uh, Steve Earle really does not like this, which once again is pretty interesting considering there there is a certain similarity and especially the vocal presentation. Hmm. Yeah, I don't quite get that, but they're yeah, they're in such a similar sort of wheelhouse. Maybe he feels it's <laughs> he's not flattered <laughs> by the uh comparison. I don't know. Steve Earle can be pretty cantankerous, so yeah, when Richard Buckner was told about it, he pretty much just shrugged it off. But I feel like Buckner appears to be coming from a different space. Yeah. So. Yeah, Earl is very message based, and you know this album certainly is not. Though I think they're dealing with some of the sort of same themes. I mean, he's definitely talking about you know people living life moment to moment. There's a lot of of that flavor. Um, in the lyrics, you know, it's it's about ephemeral existence. It's about being there but not being seen. So we got to come to this point, you know, where we we give the uh, the worthy album better EP decent single rating. And I know, I know, you're you're waiting with bated breath to see what Jay's gonna say. <laughs> Why me? You're a tough nut to crack, Jay. Jay, that's it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you're the you're the uh arbiter so do i get to go I came first to you asking for help jay i, ca- I came to you you know <laughs> wanting to clarify <laughs> well i did my best to describe it um it wasn't easy um hopefully we did a good job there um I- i'm at a worthy album I-, I i like the majority of this you know it it's 16 songs but they're all short and i would say you know uh probably in the 10 to 12 range i've I've highlighted this is songs I'd enjoyed. Um, and the rest are you still have redeeming aspects to them. They're just a little bit, um, either incomplete sounding or maybe a little less focused vocally. Um, but I think it's still a worthy album and I think it holds up really well in uh, 2018. Jay, I think that you are correct. <laughs> I got Tim to approve of me. <laughs> Yeah, I think that this is a worthy record. I th- my preference for the quieter half does not exclude that that there are some good up tempo songs. Um, I'm in the same boat as you. I think I'd be at about eleven to twelve songs, and some of the stuff that's a little bit too—it's weird to say—but like too clean and produced is the stuff that I would probably do away with. I you know I thought back about what I really liked about say Uncle Tupelo and and Wilco and Thumble and in terms of like Uncle Tupelo for example the third the fourth record which is the the most produced record is probably my least favorite and I'm not someone that leans on production as wanting rougher production I actually like clean production and stuff but there's something special about the, the raw aspect of those first couple Uncle Tupelo records that is in terms of alternative country music has always sort of defined it for me going forward. Now, I, you know, we've expressed our deep appreciation for 
the Jayhawk Sound of Lies, and that's a pretty pristine produced album um, with some trippier aspects to it. But it can swing the other way. Like some of the stuff can get a little overproduced and just in terms of it's sounding a little sterile. So I, I'm at about 11 to 12 songs, which again, that's a worthy record for us. So I'm in the same boat. So Keith, you should be happy. I I'm ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> We've made your Wednesday evening. <laughs> there you, you go. You did well. Good pick. <laughs> yeah. I feel I can't I feel like we can't I've, speak for the the Facebook people folks that maybe you'll or Patreon you might get some uh, criticism but uh you, you might, got our support. We might turn a few people on to it. That would be very cool. I feel like this is an example where like I should have been listening to this for like probably the last couple of decades and it was just my laziness of like not going to Spotify or whatever the opportunity was, you know, wherever it was. I just never listened to it because I was like, eh, I'll get to it eventually. So you forcing me to actually get to it is a good thing because now I'm going to go try to check out some of the other records that I can yeah. listen to. So thank you. I, thank you guys because you always – one of the reasons I really love the podcast is uh, you always have a different approach to, to listening and describing the albums that always you know, gives me a, a little bit of, of more insight into them as well. Cool. We've done our job. <laughs> uh, I want to remind the folks who are listening, you can join us over at Patreon uh, at patreon.com forward slash dig me out for polls that you can vote in for contests that you can be entered automatically into. By the time this episode airs, I believe we will have announced the winner of our third quarter contest. So congratulations to insert name here. Not me. (laughs) Hey, don't get down on yourself. You never know. Just going with the odds there. Yeah. Well, we're up to, um, we have a significant amount of patrons now. So each, each one that comes in, it decreases the odds. So, again <laughs> we've actually i have to say the the wheel of justice that spins for our selection has been very kind in spreading out the uh now gavin did win like three in a row to start <laughs> because he was like the only one so he's got a lifetime of picks uh you know until we retire yeah um or we call this quits, whatever, whichever comes first. Luckily, he makes some very good choices. But I think in the bylaws of it, actually, we still have to review the records, even if we stop doing the podcast. He just we yeah. call him and tell him what the <laughs> records. Just get on the phone. We just get on the phone. All right, Gavin, this is what we think about this one. <laughs> Gavin, so we've we been doing of this of for the 60 eighth, years. Uh, I'm tired. The eighth UMI record. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I also want to remind people you can go to iTunes to leave us uh, positive feedback if you choose to do so on this record and, and on this podcast it would be greatly appreciated and um, Heath thanks for coming back and talking music with us we always appreciate it yes. always wonderful money well spent excellent uh, 
Appreciate Warm our hearts. That. Thank you. Yes. All into our retirement funds. <laughs> <laughs> I think I maybe have bought you a cup of coffee over the past <laughs> year. So. Oh, no. We got like a whole craft of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. stuff. All right. So for Jay, I'm Tim, and we're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. As the day lies down alone And wakes up again at home I guess I should have warned her